0: All of us can sin on our own. We all have a sin nature. But an iniquity is a generationally entrenched sin. I'm Jimmy Evans, co-host of the Marriage Today podcast. Today we have a great teaching for you that I pray grows your marriage and blesses you as you seek to center your marriage on Christ. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to be notified of every new show. God bless you. And this message is called "Marriage Without Baggage." Um, the baggage is, uh, you know, when you're getting married and you have the term, well, I want to marry someone without a lot of baggage. Well, baggage refers to things in our past that are negative that we bring with us into the marriage that affect the marriage in a bad way, and so. Optimally, we want to get married without baggage. But for many of us, we got married with baggage. And so with Karen and I, I mean, we we got married and we had tons of baggage, especially Karen. She had a lot of baggage. (laughs) I had a little bitty bag. Karen, a big old bag. No, not really. So we both had huge amounts of baggage from our past. If you're single, if you're divorced, if you're not married yet, I want to have some good news for you. You can get married without baggage. These things that we're gonna talk about today, they don't take a long time to deal with, but undealt with, these are the things that really ruin a marriage. We're set up from the very beginning for problems because we brought the problems in with us. We brought the problems in from our past. So we're gonna talk about three issues in this message today that are considered kind of the biggest baggage issues. Iniquities inner vows, and unforgiveness. Those are the three things that affect our marriage, day one, in the most negative way. So let's talk about iniquities to begin with. Exodus 34, where I ask you to turn there. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity, of the fathers, and the word fathers really means mothers and fathers. Fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Well, the, the word iniquity in the Hebrew language is the word avon, A-V-O-N, and it means to bend or twist. It's this word right here. Rather than being straight like a tree that grows up straight, it's a tree that's been blown by a prevailing wind. And literally, it becomes bent in that direction. So God says here, I will visit the iniquities upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So the word iniquity means a bent toward a sin or a negative behavior because of the exposure of your parents. In other words, when you're growing up and you're exposed to a certain type of behavior, there is the old saying, an acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. And that saying means you're gonna be like your parents. You're pretty much set up to be like your parents. And that's just simply true. Most of us are gonna be like our parents. Well, if our parents are righteous, godly people who you know, are disciples of Jesus and grew up in a Christian godly way, that's great. They're gonna pass on to us those righteous tendencies and we're gonna be set up for success. But all of us have to admit we came out of an imperfect environment. And for some of us it was a very imperfect environment and so we were exposed to anger and abuse, verbal, sexual, physical, and chauvinism, and sexism, and pride, and rebellion, and immorality, and on and on and on. Uh, uh, all of us can sin with, on our own, we all have a sin nature. But an iniquity is a generationally entrenched sin. The video player is going while we're growing up and we're videoing and audio recording. How do our parents resolve conflict? How does my father view women? How does my mother view men? How do they deal with money? What are their values in life? How do they think about God? How do they think about church? Are they legalists? Are they, you know, are they very ungodly? What, what, how, do I, how do I record all these things growing up? And then the default mechanism when I become an adult is I do what my parents did. And so when Karen and I got married, we were set up for failure uh, in our marriage with iniquities that were in our lives. Let me give you an example. My family were Welsh, but my mother's maiden name is Wells, W-E-L-L-S. And of course, Evans is a Welsh name. The number one name, if you go to Wales, is Evans. Okay. So now Karen is Smith. Her maiden name was Smith. She's English. So um, I grew up in a stoic Welsh family. And love my family, love my heritage, hate the way that we communicated. In our family, uh, emotions were not allowed. We didn't have any emotions in my family. We had them, you just couldn't talk about them. So when a conflict would arise or something bad would happen, we couldn't talk about it. There was never a time in my family where you walked up to a person and say, I'm feeling kind of angry right now, could we talk? You didn't do that. The way you knew someone was mad at you in my family is they wouldn't look at you. And the madder they were, the longer time went by that they wouldn't look at you. It's the most dysfunctional method of communication on the planet, and that's what I would do to Karen. When I got mad at Karen, I'd give her the silent treatment for three or four days. I'd yell at her sometimes, but then I'd give her the silent treatment for three or four days. It was awful. Well, Karen's family, they're yellers. And uh, they, they, now her parents are saved and they're over this now, but... but when I married Karen, her family, you know like Italians, I love Italian people because they're so emotive. You know, there's an Italian right over there. You know them because they're yellers. They're, they're, you know, they're very emotive. So I love them because you know Italian people, they grab each other and kiss and cry and yell and all that stuff, it's fabulous. So with, with Karen's family, I would go into her home, they were yellers. And mad, they just had anger issues. So I would go in there. Now my family, there was never emotions in my family. Karen's family, I would go in, they'd be yelling, yeah, yeah, rah, rah. and then five minutes later they're hugging and kissing. It's like you folks are crazy. You got mental problems. Well, it was better than my family. You know, at least they got it out. Well, Karen and I, this is this is you know kind of encapsulates our relationship. I was playing golf in Canyon. I was in college, and Karen worked for the bank. And so she said, I'm gonna fix you dinner tonight. We weren't married. We were just dating. she said, I wanna fix you dinner tonight. So I want you to come over at six. I've got a really good dinner I'm gonna fix for you. She said, great, that, that would be great. So I was playing golf with my friends. Golf was the issue in our relationship for years. I was playing golf with my friends in Canyon, Canyon Country Club. I think it was about 5.30 and I was like on the 16th hole. Now there weren't, phone, there weren't cell phones back then. We didn't have anything like that back then. So I'm on the 16th hole and I realize it's like 5.30 and I'm in Canyon and Karen lives in Amarillo down by Elwood Park. So um, I, uh, I look at my watch and a smart Jimmy Evans would have grabbed my golf bag, run to my car and sped all the way back to Amarillo to get here by six because Karen was cooking this fabulous dinner for me. But the smart Jimmy Evans didn't exist at that time. So. I said, I'll go ahead and finish and I won't be that late. I get there, you know, 45 minutes, an hour late, walk in, I'm stinking, I've been playing golf all afternoon, and Karen is furious. Remember, this is Karen Smith. This is the you know angry girl that brought in all this anger. So I walk in the door and I am her cool and I walk in, I know she's mad. You know, I know she's mad at me. So I walk in the door and I just kind of walked in the kitchen and she gave me the silent treatment. She was just kind of throwing stuff around on the stove and stuff like that. And so finally I just turned to her in the middle of the kitchen. I said, What's your problem? The the next minute I was wearing meatloaf, potatoes. She threw a plate at me full of food and hit me right in the face. And let me just say this: the part that hit my mouth was delicious. I didn't want to say that. I was hungry. So She took this plate of food, threw it in my face, ran out the door, got in her car, and drove through the backyard through the fence. And that was precious Karen. And uh, so you have stoic Welsh Jimmy marrying angry English Karen, and we're set up. And that's our communication technique. And I'm just saying, that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's the iniquities means I'm bent. This is my default setting. I've been in this area, so, so all I've never met a person that didn't have iniquities. All of us have iniquities to some extent, tendencies because of our family of origin. So how do you break iniquities? Now we're gonna pray at the end and give us an opportunity to go through all this. How do you break iniquities? You have to confess it, okay? So I was a chauvinist, I was prideful, um, I was a, a you know, terrible communicator, um, so on and so forth, so I had to confess it. It's not my parents' problem, it's my problem. Okay. The second thing, I have to forgive my parents. You know, they may have handed me baggage, but somebody handed them worse baggage. In Karen's folks' case and in my folks' case, it's amazing how good of people they are with what was dealt to them. And so don't judge your parents because they also had someone that gave them the same baggage. So you have to forgive your parents. You can't be free without forgiveness. The number three thing, and this is so critical. So you say, Jimmy, I'm really bent in a particular area of how I see women, how I see men, how I treat people, whatever. You come to Jesus and say, Lord, this area of my life is bent because of what I was exposed to. I make you Lord of this area. And Lord, I'm asking you to disciple me. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. I'm asking you to disciple me in blank. And this is what happens. Every bent in my life when Karen and I got married is gone. Now listen to what Karen and I said. I want you to say this now. Here is what Karen and I said, when we began to learn about iniquities, here is what we said, Karen and Jimmy Evans are the end of all of the Evans and Smith iniquities and we are not passing one of these on to our children. We are breaking every single one of them right now and we tried our level best not to pass on and it is never too late even if your children are grown, it is never too late. To break an iniquity. And the fourth part of breaking iniquities is to break it. To just verbally say I break this over me and my life and over all of my uh, family from this point forward, children, grandchildren, in the name of Jesus I am the end of all iniquities and with me begins a blessing on a thousand generations. And righteousness to a thousand generations. Okay, So that is an iniquity. An inner vow is kind of the opposite of an iniquity. It's a self-directed promise made in response to pain or difficulty in life. But we don't make inner vows because we're evil. We make inner vows because we're hurting. Something is happening and I'm hurting. Uh, I'm in a very difficult place and I just simply make myself a promise because I'm not gonna come back here. What I'm saying is I'm not gonna come back here. Okay? So it's innocent, very deadly though. Um, I'll never be poor again. A lot of people say that, they grow up poor. Uh, no one will ever hurt me again. Again, we're being hurt and we comfort ourselves like that. I'm not gonna be vulnerable again. I was vulnerable and I got hurt, I'll never be vulnerable again. When I get older, I'm going to or not going to. Uh, spank my kids, go to church, make kids, make my kids work. You, you say, when I grow up, I'm gonna, and you fill in the blank. So I've never met a person that didn't make an vow or multiple vows, So this is something we just simply do. Well, what are the problem with inner vows? They're sin. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew five. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than this, these, is from the evil one. Now, so listen to me. So you say, now wait a minute, Jimmy. So Jesus is saying, I can't say I swear to God. Then you shouldn't say that. Um, I swear by anything, Uh, you know. Jesus said, you don't go around swearing things. You perform your oaths to the Lord. If you have an oath to make, you say, Jesus, I really want to do this, help me do this, okay. Uh, inner vow is a promise that I make toward myself. Now listen, in any area of your life where you have an inner vow, Jesus is not the, area, the Lord of that area of your life. Why, wh- why is it of the evil one? Because the devil wants to keep you away from the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's evil. Okay, so I say to myself, I'll never be poor again. Jesus Christ is not the Lord of my finances. I am. Because I said I'll never be poor again, so now I'm, I'm taking care of that. I say no one's ever gonna hurt me again. Jesus Christ is not the Lord of my relationships, period. In any area that I have an active inner vow working, Jesus is not the Lord of that area. So that's the first problem with inner vows. The second is they cause us to be unteachable, unapproachable, and irrational in that area of our lives. In any area that you have an inner value, you're a little crazy, is another way to say it. You think think you're a genius, but you're just a little bit crazy. Okay, so this is an example that I use. Um, I counseled a guy in marriage and his wife had never been in the house. Now when I say that people have a hard time registering that. A friend of mine said, hey, would you talk to my buddy? He's having a hard time in his marriage. I said, sure. So I talked to his buddy and so I, I'm having a conversation with this guy and I realized a few minutes in the conversation, he keeps referring to his wife's apartment downtown. And I said, are you all separated? He said, no, we're not separated. I said, well, now, so I know where you live, but your wife lives downtown? Yeah, my wife lives downtown. I said, um, are you all separated? No, no, that's where she lives. And I said, so you live, you live here and she lives downtown, yeah. Well, you're not separated. No, she lives downtown. I don't want her in the house. I said, well, you're married. This is her house. No, it's not. This is my house. She lives downtown. Well, I knew there was a problem. You know, being the, <laughs> being the expert marriage counselor that I am, I knew there was a problem. Well, what was the problem? Well, I started talking to him in a little bit. I said, well, tell him about your mother your father. He said, well, my mother is a controlling witch Who emasculated my father every day of my life growing up? And when I was growing up, I said, No woman will ever do that to me. He was his mother. An inner vow earlier in his life said, No woman will ever emasculate me like that, like my mother has my father. Now he couldn't relate to women. That's what an inner vow does. An inner vow. An inner vow is kind of the opposite of iniquity. Uh, An iniquity says I'm just going to go the same direction as my parents. In his father's case, it was to be passive, okay, toward a controlling woman. In his case, he said, no woman will ever control me. So now he's in the opposite ditch. So this guy, he's, he's a smart guy, very successful guy. I'm sitting there talking to him. He's smirking at me the whole time I'm talking. He's a genius, you know. And I said, now it's wrong that you control your wife like this, and it's wrong that you won't let her in the house. He looked at me, wouldn't listen to a word that I had to say, because in any area that you have an inner vow, you're like this. You're protecting, I don't wanna go back there. To let her in the house means a woman would have the chance of controlling me, so you're trying to get me back to my mother. No, I'm not, I'm just trying to get you to back a place of sanity, because you're crazy as a bed bug. Crazy. Can't get along with women. Can't have a woman in the house. Okay. So, so the issue is he's his mother's soul twin. He doesn't even know it. See, here's what happens generation to generation. So there's a horse here, and we need someone to get on the horse and ride into victory. Ride off into victory. And here's what iniquity's inner vows are an iniquity is your family's laying in this ditch. An inner vow causes you to overreact, and now you're in this ditch, looking under the horse at your family saying, I'm better than you because at least I'm not in your ditch, but you're still in the ditch. And what God wants is for someone to break the iniquities and the inner vows so somebody can get on the horse and ride off in the future and not be insane. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage. And I wanna thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out xomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.